I feel, uh, I'm trying to decide, we have, uh, we're on humility and grace, but before we get into that, I feel like I'm supposed to share something, and um, this is a story that I heard on a teaching that I've been listening to recently, and uh, everybody knows Joel Osteen, but did you know his father, John Osteen, anybody remember him, and uh, John, you know, Joel is more of a, you know, and most of the world sees Joel as more of a sugary sweet guy. They're actually pretty strong behind the scenes more than a lot of people think that they are. Um, They do a lot of stuff that's good for the kingdom. But his dad was an amazing powerhouse of God, John was. And, uh, but people saw him as being pretty sweet too. And I was listening to Mark Barclay and, um, Dr. Mark Barclay, and he was doing a, uh, a teaching on mammon, which is, uh, most people think mammon is money, but it's not. Mammon is a spirit behind the world system that involves money, and he was doing a teaching on that, and he was talking about uh, John Osteen used to be his pastor, and they were driving one, one day, and uh, he said, uh, and Pastor John said, he said, uh, ask me something. And so Dr. Mark was, I don't know they he was a doctor at that point, but he was pastoring and he said, he said, well, he said, why is it that the people that come and ask me for money and we meet their needs, they are the first ones to leave and go somewhere else? Why is that? You know, why is it, they're the ones that you would think would be, you know, there, you know, and we, we paid their bills and we we went and we met them and did everything for them you know and and you would think they would be the last people to go and uh he said but they're the first people to go and he said uh john turned to him and he said well it's your fault and he said what (laughs) he said oh did you hear what question he said it's your fault he said he said because uh, Dr. Mark was uh, raised really poor. He said, because you were poor, you can't say no. He said, and it's your fault, and they're suffering because of it. And he said, you know, Mr. Sweet Pastor John, that nobody saw this side of him, you know. He said, but he was, he said, and what he uh, did is he said, who gave you the right, Mark? to step outside of the order of God and, and move everything around and start doing things differently than God said to do them. It's like, hold up. I thought we were supposed to feed the hungry and give to the poor, and, and there is a place for that, but we've got it twisted, and that's what he went on. He, he said, turn to 1 Kings 4, and uh, he told the story about where Let's just turn there real quick. And I just, I just feel like we're supposed to share this. It might be 2 Kings. Is it 2 Kings? Yes, 2 Kings 4. <clears throat> 2 Kings 4, verse 1. And it says, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, 
what shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in the house. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. So then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So in other words, there's a miracle. There's obviously God honored what happened here. Would you agree? She paid off all her debt with the little bit of oil that she had left, and it multiplied so much that she had enough to live on and pay all the debt off. And they were about to throw them, you know, take them as slaves. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. But here's the thing. Now, it's interesting because I've heard this preached several different different ways, but most, most people that I've heard, when, when the woman comes up to the man of God, to the preacher, right, and says, what, what am I going to do? They're going to throw it away. They're going to you know, take us as slaves and basically throw, a, throw our lives away. What, what are you going to do, right? And Elisha's response was, what am I supposed to do? You know, what am I going to do for you? What, a, what have I got to do with you? You know, in other words, he was kind of being smart back is the way that it looks like. Like, what do you want me to do? Solve all your problems, right? And then he immediately doesn't give her, does he give her the money? No. He asked the person who's in debt, what do you have? What do you have to give? What do you have to sow? What do you have? And so Mark saw that, and it's interesting because he was talking about uh, poverty, and he said, um, she said, he said, what do you have? And she said, your maidservant has nothing, in verse 2. Your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil, right? So it almost looks like she, you know, her response is, I got nothing. I don't have anything. But then it's almost like the Holy Spirit kind of checked her on and said, but a little jar of oil, you know, kind of like, but what is that? You know, the same kind of speech that you hear when they say, you know, what are you going to feed the 5,000 with? Well, we don't have, but, you know, five loaves and two, two fishes. But what is that amongst so many? It's the same speech. It's a, it's a poverty spirit. It's a literal spirit that's poverty. And, that, and he, he made a comment. He said, a poverty spirit will make you th- think you have nothing. It will constantly, even though you actually do have some stuff, it'll make you think you have nothing. And part of the reason for making you think you have nothing is it'll make you not give anything. And, then it, and that will set you outside the order of God and then you won't be uh, moving in his order so that he can move miraculously in your finances or whatever else. So anyway, that was just a, I felt like I was supposed to share that tonight. If you're finding yourself in a situation, ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to give? What do I have to give to you? You know, 
And even if you're not in a situation, let's just say that you want to believe God for more to give to the church or whatever. What do, what do you have? You know, what do you have? And what are you willing to be obedient with with the Lord? You know, because the moment that you think, well, I've got nothing, is the moment that you're already being led by the wrong thing. You probably have plenty. It's just your eyes have been blinded to that that fact so that you won't actually do what God wants you to do and so that you can come up out of that situation, get yourself out of the debt. Uh, not maybe, maybe it's not money debt, but maybe it is uh, I'm in debt to time, you know. Time, I, I, I'm, so, I'm up to my ears. I got more stuff to do than I have time. That's in yeah. debt. Right. Yeah. That's in debt to time, and God doesn't want you in that. He wants you in abundance. So you can believe God for time just like you do finances. So what do you have? You know, so anyway, and Mark went on, Dr. Mark went on to talk about, he said, you know, he said, those people that I gave stuff to and I met their bills, he said, I never saw them again. And years later, I'd run into them and they were still in the same problem. They did not come out of that. He said, and, and for him, I don't think it would be as difficult for me at this point, but for him at that point, he said, he said, I was in like great fear over the next person that came and asked me for something because I knew I was going to have to ask them what do they have, and I didn't want to ask them that. I was so scared of asking that question. He said, but I'm, I manned up, and I, I did what God said, and I, and I asked them that. He said, what's funny is those people today that I said, what do you have? Go seek the Lord on what you're supposed to give, and God will start meeting your needs. He said, those are the same people today that when the church needs something, they have plenty, and they're the ones that will help meet every need. And, and they're the people I'll call when, hey, we need to do this project or that project. Those people were able to come up out of that place and into abundance out of that because they're moving in the order of God. Amen. Isn't that an awesome testimony? So I just... Thought y'all were supposed to hear that tonight. I hope you got something out of it. Let's turn to James chapter 4 and verse 6. Amen. I love it. See, that's, that's the Holy Spirit flowing because he knows that some of us need to hear that tonight. How many, how many people would have guts enough to say, man, I need to hear that tonight, whether it be for money or anything else? Amen. And that's just it. We've got to learn how to move in the things and the ways of God. His ways are holy. So let's find out. Let's move into the holy. Let's move into the supernatural by learning his ways and then doing it his way and not our way, which goes right along with where we're at. So we've been talking about humility and grace, and I don't remember what number this is, but it's in the teens. And... Um, James 4, 6 says this. This has been our key verse. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, tonight, we're gonna, I believe we're going to finish up on the humility and grace and uh, show one last portion in the last part of this chapter. But then we're also just going to quickly review the whole series. And, and in reviewing it, we've got to start with this verse where it says, he's, he was listing some stuff, and he talks about a greater grace, and we went over this in the last couple of weeks. 
But we didn't just get to this verse. We didn't just get to the greater grace. It was talking about before the reason why you have the problems and the quarrels and the conflicts is because your flesh is lusting after stuff in the wrong way. But he's saying that all your problems are handled by grace, but that grace doesn't come by you chasing after the stuff and trying to fix the problem yourself. It comes as you humble yourself. Amen. And, and one of the things we pointed out this whole time is, you know, God doesn't not like the, the uh, proud people but he's, above, he's opposed to the proud. In other words, it's not that he doesn't want to help the people that find themselves in the trap of pride, but he can't go along with it. He can't go along with it. And so when somebody decides to make a prideful choice, what they are doing is literally deciding to go against God. He's opposed to that attitude. And if you decide to choose that attitude, you're going to find yourself in opposition to God. This is not a winning circumstance on your, on your behalf. This will not turn out good for you, okay? Because ain't nobody bigger than God. And if you find yourself in pride, you're going to find yourself butting heads with God. And you don't want that, all right? But if you find yourself in humility, you're going to find yourself going with God. And you'll find yourself in the place of grace. A lot of times, y'all have heard me say, you know, I'll, the Lord showed me this. It's just like imagining two playgrounds. God's playground, where grace is given, and the devil's playground, where pride takes us. And in the devil's playground, he likes to steal, kill, and destroy. But in God's playground, he likes to give us life, and life more abundantly. You know, that's what he likes to do. He loves to give us life, and the devil loves to take it away. And we find ourselves in one or the other, Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You can be Christian in both playgrounds, in both, in both kingdoms, all right? I can be operating in the king's domain of God, or I cannot be operating in the domain of the devil based on whether or not I'm in humility or pride. Amen. So when we get in humility, we end up in this kingdom, and all of a sudden we just find, man, this stuff's working. This is awesome. Praise God. You know, you want to know somebody that's in that kingdom is somebody that's always got testimonies, always got stuff going right for them. You know why? Because God's pouring out on them. And I'm not just talking about, you know, I'm not just talking about small things. I'm talking about big things happening in their life constantly. There's constantly some miracle, some, some healing, somebody they led to the Lord, somebody they pray. They're operating in this kingdom of God efficiently at a high rate. Okay, um, We want to be the kind of people that do that. We want to be the kind of people that are enjoying the kingdom of God, and we are constantly, we ha constantly have a testimony. But we don't just get there just because we go, I choose Jesus. Now, that's not the only reason why we get there. We get there because we apply humility for long periods of time. Yes. We, we choose to work with God instead of opposition to God. Okay? So it's a choice. Now, if we continue on here... It says this in verse 7, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right here, I'm going I'm to kind of blend humility and grace and the proof series. On Sunday morning, we were talking about how we prove uh, uh, basically that God's will is good and perfect and acceptable. And you see that in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, uh, don't be conformed to this world, right? It says, but be transformed. And one of the things um, is I use this little thing here, this little box, and the world and its system is constantly, conform means to be molded to. The, the world and the system is constantly trying to push you into the mold and spit you out as just another brick in the wall, you know. It, honestly, it's just trying to spit you out as somebody that it can duplicate that will fall in line with the world system, yeah. okay? There's a whole series I can teach on that and probably will because he's pulling up some old series right now in my heart. Um, so, but the world is trying to mold you. He, he pretty much wants everybody to look the same and fall in line and fall in pattern. Uh, and if you get out of that pattern, what, what happens if somebody gets out of that pattern today? Well, you're a hater. Yeah. You're, a, you're an individualist, you know. You're a, you're a fanatic, right? You're in fanaticism. Well, I'm sorry, but everything you just said besides hater, they're labeling it as that. But those are things that God wants you to be. Be hot or be cold, but don't be lukewarm. Right. This is lukewarm. This mold that is, this is a lukewarm mold. You are never going to do stuff for God when you keep getting pressed and conformed and allowing the world to conform you. In other words, this corrupted world, it's constantly has pressure on you. And if you don't do anything, if you don't resist you are going backwards. Yeah, that's right. If you are not proactive to grow, to get better, you are being molded and you will go backwards. That's good. So humility, and when it tells us that in humility we should resist the devil, that means we don't just get to a place and all of a sudden everything's comfortable and we're like, yes. You know, let's say that all of a sudden, let's say that Sunday morning, and, and it started this Sunday morning, and for the rest of, of, of uh, next year, the whole year, I mean, it just, this place was packed, right? Would we be correct or incorrect to keep doing everything the same? We'd be doing it, it'd be incorrect. Why? Because if we fall into that, uh, comfort level, what happens very quickly is spiritually we become stale and very quickly we would start to be molded because there's a pressure constant. We've got to raise up the pressure inside of us through the power and the fire of God that will push back the incoming pressure from the world. And actually what we're supposed to do is overtake that. Amen. Push those boundaries. Amen. This is humility. This is, you know, we had a series this year on increase. This, humility is not just going, oh, yes, just beat me up and take advantage of me. And, oh, you know, that's not humility. 
Humility is doing... Now, we don't do that in the sense of... Um, uh, a lot of people will take that kind of word and then they'll go out here on a street corner and preach about how the world is so rotten. No, 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 no. That's, you're, you're, you're putting the world's twist on God's plan and it's wrong. It, that's not how it works. You preach the goodness of God. You, in your life, you give yourself to change. You worship. You pray. You win this thing spiritually. But you continue to grow and resist the devil in the spirit. And that's how you push out. And you do that aggressively in the spirit. I mean, you go after it. Aggressively. In the spirit. Not in the flesh, in the spirit. Now, there are some actions that come out. And that is humility. Yeah. That's humility. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and this is an awesome verse here, verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, praise God. What an awesome verse. You, you have to understand the context. He wants our joy to be full, but what he's recognizing is he's saying take the things of the flesh and the things that you think are so that make you so happy and put those things down. It says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Stop thinking that you're so high and mighty. Stop thinking that you got everything right. I mean, one of my favorite things right now to tell people is, I don't know everything. Yes! Praise God! Woohoo! It's awesome. Do you know the freedom I have when I don't have to know everything in front of you? I don't know everything, and I don't. Sometimes I wish I knew everything, and I'm working towards knowing everything, but I'm not there yet, and that's okay. The one who stands up here and says, I do know everything, that's the one you better stop listening to right then. The one, why? Because they've got no humility. None. And they don't understand they don't understand some basic stuff about the scripture. But you know what? We got people up in the pulpit all over the place trying to be that and trying to paint the picture of that that can have no faults and no flaws. I got them. And and I'm not praising God for having faults and flaws, but I'm glad that I recognize that I do. I am praising God that I can recognize that. And you should be too. But I've got to be able to take those things that make my flesh happy, that make my flesh joyful, and put those things down. Put them down. Amen. And you know what? Some of that stuff might be stuff that you think is God. It says, verse 11, do not speak against one another. We're talking about humility. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. In other words, what this is saying, you have one side of the ditch that says you're not to judge anybody. And you have the other side of the ditch that's, that... Um, 
wants to judge everything, you know, and basically God's going to, you know, kill you if you keep on doing that stuff, and they want to be judge and jury. Well, you can't be that, but you're not, you actually are supposed to judge some things, but our, our wording here is a little bit different from the time I would say this is written in our English language today. This, let me say it like this. It's okay to judge whether or not something is wrong or right. It's not okay to pass a sentence on that person. You notice at the beginning of this verse, it said it's not right. He says when you speak against somebody. In other words, you're doing something against them or dragging them down. So that's passing a sentence on them. It is okay for me to say, that's not right to do. That's not God. Senator, congressman, president, whatever, that's not right. Now, that doesn't mean I need to go tell him that. That might not be my lane. My lane, personally, Brian's lane, is to tell you what is God and what isn't. Your lane is to go to the voting place and vote what is God's will. We vote that way. So our lane might not be to go and picket somebody. A lot of the church thinks that's how you do it. That's not how you do it. If that was the case, you'd just send Jesus in front of the, in front of the Romans. But you didn't, did you? No, because that's not his way. It's not, and if it's not his way, it's not the Father's way. Right. Jesus' way was to go in and do what we're talking about on Sunday in the Proof series to help people to change themselves, and they become a spiritual light and magnet that draws other people to change, and before you know it, the world has changed because of it. In other words, it's done on a one-on-one basis, passing the truth on, and each of us deciding to discipline ourselves in humility after God so that the change of God starts to happen in us personally and then in the people around us. So our, our, our job is not to uh, pass sentence on somebody, but it is to say, hey, this is not right. That's not God. That's, that's, that's not God. This is God. That's not God. But not, well, I hope you just, you know, I hope this happens to you then since you're not operating in God. That's what it's talking about not doing. And it's saying this, if you try to judge all the law in somebody's life, that's not making you a doer of it. That's making you a judge of it. Our job is to be, what it, the big point here is that our job is to be the people that actually do the law of love. That actually operate in the law of love. Not just talk about it. Not just say whether or not that's right or not. Or judge another person on whether or not they're operating in it. That's not our job. Our job is to do it. To be it. That takes humility, though. See, a lot of times when people are pointing the finger, the reason is because they don't want them coming back at him. It's like, get the attention off of me. Look at what they're doing. <laughs> yeah? That's classic pickpocket stuff. Look, over, look at somebody else so I can steal from you over here. It's the same thing with the devil. And he'll get people, he'll, you know, constantly they'll be like, look over there, you know. Don't look at me. I got stuff wrong. Well, I knew that when I met you, you know. You didn't have to hide that. I knew it when I looked in the mirror in the morning. Like, you know, it's okay. I'm, your, your sin doesn't scare me. You know, and it shouldn't scare other Christians. You shouldn't be scared by people's sin. That's right. You know, the, 
the Starbucks cups. They didn't put Merry Christmas on the cups. They just had plain red cups. Oh, my gosh. I mean, there was a fury over the Internet because Merry Christmas was not on the cups. So you're expecting this corporation that has obviously not been Christian to do Christian things? Are you kidding? How much time was wasted and how much did you look like a jerk talking about? They didn't put Merry Christmas on the cups. If we would be living it more, they wouldn't have to put Merry Christmas on the cups. People would be enjoying the fruit of the light that you bring into their life. And they would not be taking their cues from corporations and the government. They'd be taking them from you because you brought that much light into their life. So really what that highlights is our inadequacies. Our lack of humility. Ow, this one getting me. There is only, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge and the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So, again, we're talking about humility. So humility and not pride is focusing your stuff on you. Focusing change on you. This goes right along with the proof series. It goes back to you. It's not what somebody else is doing. It's what are you doing? What are you doing? This is a huge point here in the last couple of verses uh, going through 16. It says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or do that. But as it is, you boast In your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He just told you that if I say next year we're going to do this, I'm evil. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? And hopefully it's eye-opening. Hopefully it's one of those that will help us come to ourselves. In other words, he said if I say I'm going to do this next year... And I haven't heard what he's saying is, I hadn't heard from God, I'm arrogant. In other words, my life needs to be more humbled to God. Now, what's interesting about this, because when I read this at the beginning of the Humility and Grace series, as I was doing some study and research on it, and I read this, I was like, man, that verse got me. I mean, it's like, I just... I was kind of been waiting to get to this place. I didn't realize how far away it was when I first read it. But I, I've been, you know, I was, I was like, man, how often do I do that? Probably a lot. How often should I be doing that and saying I'm going to do this and that and everything else? Probably none, apparently, after reading the verse. And, and people, though, you have to be... This is a very important point because you've got two ditches on this. 
because one ditch says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this next year and that next year, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, and I'm going to build this company, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to get married, and I'm going to have kids. It's going to be awesome. And the Lord says, that's arrogance. That's pride. Already, you're in opposition to God. Now, now here's the thing. How much of that do you think is actually going to come to pass if you're in arrogance and opposed to God? So, like, if you actually do want that stuff to happen, that's the worst way to go about it. Right? But that's a ditch. But the other ditch is somebody will say, you know, well, God will heal you if it's his will. You know, he'll bless you if it's his will. And they'll attach if it's his will to everything. You notice the balance here is not stuff that his will is known on. The balance that he's talking about is things that we don't know. He has not said. But if he has attached his will to something like healing, yes, I will, I will heal you. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. He gave us time and time and time. He sent his word and healed them, past tense. Time and time and time and time and time and time again, he established what his will was on healing. We don't have to say, if it be his will on that. This verse does not apply. This is talking about things that he has not established his will on. So we've, humility finds the balance of those two things. But if there's something over here that we don't know is his will, then we humble ourselves by not assuming that something's going to happen. Our lives could look totally different tomorrow. I was, it's funny because today I was reading through uh, a bunch of people that were, used to be uh, rich. And, you know, one, you know, one of them was MC Hammer and I, I forget all of them, but uh, they all had tons and tons of money. One of them was, um, uh, oh gosh, Dennis Rodman, right? And so he, he had a whole lot of money. And some of them have lost it, and then they lost it all. It was talking about people that had a whole bunch of money, and they lost everything. And some of them had recovered uh, since then. One of them was um, Cindy Lauper. Uh, she had a lot, lost everything. I don't remember if she's recovered or not. But anyway, it was interesting because when those people are in their prime, man, they are just full of themselves. And they think that they're always going to be at the top of their game and it says pride goes before fall. And that's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, they took out loans on houses and all this stuff, thinking everything's going to be the same. And now, you know, look at the report today, you know, minus five years ago, ten years ago, and all of a sudden it's a totally different situation. A lot of times we're that same way, just not on that level, right? We're just not, we haven't hit where we're moving in the millions and billions, but we're the exact same way. We just think, you know, we got this thing wrapped up. And without humility, we're not willing to change gears any. Without humility in our lives, we're not willing to look at our lives and go, what needs to change? You know, just because this thing's running good doesn't mean that I don't need to put it in a different gear. It doesn't mean, in other words, humility is going, Lord, do you have something to tell me? Do you have something that I need to hear to, to have plans for whatever is in the future that you haven't spoken of yet? Now, we know that God always has good plans for you, you know, to bring about a good in your life. I know the plans that I have for you, right? In Jeremiah. I 
We know that he has good plans for us. We know that his will for us is good. We can speak on those things. But you have to understand that your idea of good and his idea of good probably look different. Your idea of triumph and his idea of triumph probably look different. And it's humility that helps you be okay with the difference between what you're thinking and what God's thinking. And without it, you're going to be in a mess because everything that doesn't go according to your plan, you start getting in a bind. I mean, you start getting, it messes with you. And all of a sudden, you can't function and operate, and you'll try to push something through that never was God in the first place. Because of a lack of humility. And now you're in opposition to God and you're not going to come out on the good side of that. In humility and grace and just, you know, kind of wrapping the series up, we started off by, you know, drawing some graphics. And one of the things is when we operate in humility, it's going to give us grace. It's going to add grace to our life. And that grace... That, that word in uh, James 4, 6 says, it's greater than the problem. You, you can put any, any name in here, sickness, disease, problem, lack, whatever you want to. There's a grace that's designed to be greater than that. But that grace doesn't just start operating in your life. Uh, without you accepting and moving by humility. So we get humility, we get grace that will beat back the problem. Well, that should give you a lot of hope because I can now walk into any situation with any, any problems and know that there's a grace from heaven that will defeat that. So I can walk into any problem knowing that I already have triumph before we even get started. I'm, you know, Jesus already got the championship belt around his waist. I'm not waiting for him to be champion. He already is champion. All power and authority is given to him. I can walk into any situation, or if any situation finds me, I can stand up in the middle and say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm equal brother with Jesus here. He, he's my big bro. He's done won the belt. You know, who you messing with? Now, that's not pride, that's humility based on what he's done. Now, if you don't have him, or you're not going to go about it his ways, I suggest you don't make statements like that. That's not going to go good for you, because the devil knows what to do with that attitude without backing. The devil, you know, um, uh, Ted, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr., one of the things he was saying is, there's only one thing, there's only one thing that the devil respects, and it's power. And Jesus comes with it. The question is, are you coming with Jesus? And without humility, that can get a little gray sometimes. But when we move in humility, that means that we're not doing things the way that we think they ought to be done. We're doing things the way that God has established, like the situation that I used at the beginning tonight with the finances. You go about things in God's ways, in his order, and they will work. Grace will be, you humble yourself to his ways, grace will be poured out, and that will beat the problem. But if you go, and you're, it's like, you look, now Pastor Mark that I was telling the story about, right? Was he trying to do it a good thing? Had he humbled himself to the word? He was operating in a worldly mindset, giving, but was he in love? And what would the world say? Would the world say he was in love to meet their needs? But was he in love? No. 
1 Corinthians 13, 3. Even though I give all my possessions to the poor, but have not love. In other words, just because you give stuff, that doesn't mean you're in love. That means I haven't humbled myself to actually seek the Lord, find out what his way is in this circumstance, and then go about it that way. He was just going with what the world had taught him. And maybe the world was teaching him that through the church. Probably was. So he thought he was doing a God way, and until he humbled himself to what Pastor John taught, it wasn't working. He was actually perpetuating the hole that people were in. So was he in humility? He was actually in pride by giving. It can be wrong. Because we've got to humble ourselves to the ways of God. I see people all the time trying to solve problems in their life. Constantly trying to solve problems. And they're going about it a way that they think is God. But it doesn't line up with his ways. And it doesn't work. And then they're mad at God. Well, I tried, God, and I did this. Why didn't you move? Again, the fact that you're having to ask that question shows your pride. Does it not reveal it? So, when we back up though and say, oh, I can miss it. I have been born again for 40-something years now. And I've been in church all my life. I went with my mama and my daddy. And I've been going ever through high school and college. And now as a young adult and now as an older adult, I've been going to church. I know about God. You can't tell me something about God, young whippersnapper. Well, maybe. But that really is the attitude we've kind of carried in the church a lot of times. And then we wonder why stuff isn't working. Most, you know, lots and lots of times people say, well, I know such and such. And they had faith and they prayed for healing and, and, and they died and they did this. You don't know whether they had faith or not. Matter of fact, our idea of faith is so tainted because the world's been corrupted for so long. It's hard for us to put a place on where it actually is. The fact that you tell me that they did shows me that pride's already involved. Because humility says, I really don't know if they did or not. I saw what I thought was it, but I don't know. And I don't. I don't either. I know that the word says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, in other words, if you got faith and you put words on that, it shall be done. So for you to tell me something that contradicts that, that's a prideful statement. Contrary to the power of God. So in other words, a lot of times there's stuff, there's so many variables. That's why you don't use experience to, uh, to make a doctrine. Because there's so many variables involved in experiences. There's so many unseen things and spiritual things. We don't know all of it. We don't know it all. And then we think we know it all. And then we establish a doctrine. So at the beginning we talked about this. And I drew this line out. And, and I, this is kind of like a line of righteousness. And I said in my best estimation, most people, most people, do about 60% of their life right and about 40% wrong. 60% godly and about 40% ungodly. 
Now, God would be, you know, 100% right, and that's what we need to work to. We're supposed to grow to the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's what we're, that's what we're growing towards. But here's the thing. This thing here, this picture here with the 60 right and 40 wrong, uh, the, the problem is, it, let's say that this person, that this person here, this is a picture of their life. Let's say that they knew that this 40% was wrong. Well, now, if that's the case, you're now looking at a psychopath. Because they know 40% of their life is wrong, and they're still doing it. I don't want to know that person. And most people aren't it. I've found that most people are not doing things out of malice. That means they're not, they're not purposefully doing things wrong. They just think the wrong things that they're doing are right. They're deceived. They've got a veil over that, and maybe some preacher taught them something that was wrong, you know? This is one of the things that I work to never teach you something that's not God. And if I find something like that, I want to come back and say, hey, look, I said this. I don't think that's true anymore. I found this, the counsel of the word, and I'm not opposed to doing that because I don't want to leave something that's wrong in you. I want everything to be in the light, and I want want that. But here's what I found. Now, in other words, if this person doesn't have a bad heart, they're not doing things out of malice, they're doing 40% wrong, but they think that that 40% is right, which is really bad to the world because now the world kind of knows that that 40% is wrong, and the world sees them doing things wrong, and they're putting on super Christian shirts. Look at me. I'm a Christian. I go to church. Won't you come with me? And the world's going, I don't want to come with you. Why would I come with you when you do all that stuff wrong? Why would I come with you when you got that attitude? But see, they think that they're justified by God, and so they just keep pressing. Keep pressing. And what is that? That's pride. And without humility, they will never come out of it. Humility is the only thing that gives us, that opens up the door for us to grow to God. We've got to get this whole bar to slide up into above righteousness. But the only way that that key is unlocked is if we actually get humble. We've got, humility is so important. Because without it, we become some big old hypocrites. And the world knows it. Seize it and don't want anything to do with it. But the world doesn't care that people are growing. They just see a label of Christian and they expect them to be just like God because they don't understand the play between, hey, I got to renew my mind and I've got to put the flesh down. They don't realize you're in a growth pattern. Just because you became a Christian, you may be all right in the eyes of God and as far as righteousness goes, but you still got habits you've got to clean up. They, They don't always get that and understand that. They just see Christian or not Christian, and they expect you to be operating like this. But what they see is this. And our job is not to stay like this and point our finger at the non-Christian and go, well, quit looking at me like that. Our job is to actually get into humility and grow and raise up our righteousness. This is, I, I drew on the board here two keys tonight. 
And one key represents this picture, the 60-40, 60 right, 40% wrong. And so our idea and our key to life, the way that we view it, you know, a key has certain bumps and notches on it and everything. And the right combination unlocks the things in our life. And so when somebody is in this position and they're not a, you know, a psychopath, then they think this is the picture of the key that they have for life. And they're living out what they think is right. Now, they, they realize it's just not always working, that there's some bumps and notches in that key that are out of place. And they're, they're going, well, God, why is this and the key not working? And it's because they won't humble themselves. When the actual key, like Jesus, may look like this key, and it's got a certain series of notches and bumps, and that one works every single time. But without humility, we're not willing to take the, the top off of our favorite doctrine and knock it down. Yeah. We're not willing to look at it and reshape this key so that it'll work. But they'll try to use this key and 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 they'll live a very mediocre life because they were never humble enough to actually look at the key and see what needed to be in what place. Amen. We've got to have humility. And when we get into the place of humility, what will happen is we'll take off the certain notches and we'll start to match up with the picture of Christ and all of a sudden we will have an accurate picture and we'll find that the doors will start opening to us and not only the doors for the stuff in our own life but the doors in the lives of other people that need that key in their life as well but the only way that you get to this key that looks like Jesus is if you recognize that the one that you're looking at right now, it doesn't work. And it doesn't look like him. The one that says, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to say, I've got some stuff out of place. That's why I'm telling you. I've got some stuff out of place myself. Maybe it's better looking than yours compared to, compared to Jesus. Maybe mine looks better compared to yours, but it still doesn't look like this. I ain't walked on water yet. I had not had a glow as far as I know of. But I'm getting there. I'm on a path. I'm on a journey. But I'm never going to get there if I'm not willing to say that my picture and what I have in my mind that works is, is, is exactly like Christ. If I, if I can say that it looks exactly like Christ, I'm fooling myself. And I'm already in pride, and I'm not going to be able to actually... Do what he's asked me to do. I'll go through this life with a dummy key that won't unlock hardly anything thinking that I'm doing a good work. Think about this. This is something I've been thinking about all day. We've asked this question before, but why are you here on this earth? You Christian, why are you here? There's only one reason. And that's to advance the kingdom of God. That's the only reason. So, how much are you actually doing? 
In other words, what I'm pointing out to you is this. You know, what motivates your life? Why are you in the job that you have now? Why did you buy the whatever you just bought? Why did you pencil in the calendar what you just penciled in? Was it to advance the kingdom or not? How many people have you led to the Lord? How many people have you seen filled with the Spirit? How many people have you laid hands on and they've been healed? And the proof of that starts to cause them to want to change personally. I'm not talking about the preacher. Well, preacher, that's your job. No, 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 no. It is my job, but it's any Christian's job. Every Christian's job. And if your focus, time, and talents, and energy is not raising that up, you've got a key that's way out of whack. You've got notches in priorities and places that are not God's. The only reason we're left here on this earth, that would certainly be better. Certainly be better for us just to, as soon as we get born again, zip up to heaven. But we're left here with a reason, and it's to advance the kingdom. So what are we doing? Coming into church is not advancing the kingdom. Not on its own. That's, that's what the world's seeing right now is a whole bunch of people that go to church but they never actually do anything. They never actually are the light. Yeah. Now, you're doing stuff simply by being here and supporting it. You're growing, you're learning. Uh, there's testimonies coming in where people are being the light in different areas. They are leading people to the Lord. They are seeing them healed and, and delivered and stuff like that. That's constantly, we're constantly receiving reports, but the truth of the matter is, which one of us has that exactly the way it should be and our priorities are in order? Which one of us should not go back and look at our lives and reprioritize? None of us. All of, none of us have it right. All of us should go back and relook at that. Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, I, I see people constantly, well, I'm supporting this group, and I'm supporting this, and I'm supporting that. Did God really tell you to go do that? Did you even humble yourself enough to ask if he wanted you to? Because odds are the world in its wrong thinking taught you it was the right thing to do. But God never said it. And now your key looks different from Christ and you're wondering why it's not working. Humility is being able to take an honest look at ourselves and say, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And am I really, do I really have the priority? As I draw this timeline This represents eternity. And here's the part that we're in. You know, about a hundredth of the whole timeline. But that doesn't even represent the fullness of eternity. And most of the time, you find that every decision deals with stuff that's right in this section. This portion of time that we're living on the earth that the Bible calls a vapor. And every decision and action that we're making deals with producing fruit for ourselves in that period of time. And it gives no priority to the eternal timeline. 
And the world has taught us that because it's thought a certain way. The world has taught us, get the good you know, spouse, have kids, have grandkids, get the big house, get a good job, enjoy yourself, go to the lake, do this, do that. Go to church. But the world doesn't care if you're lukewarm. And we feel like we checked off the box. And our key looks so different from Christ. And our results that we have that will last an eternity are close to nothing. And, and let me throw this question out there. If somebody came up to you tonight and said, I want to know your Jesus, do you know what scriptures to tell them? If somebody came up to you tonight and said, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, would you even know why they need to be filled? Do you know what that affords them? Do you know how to lead them in that? If somebody came up to you and said, I need healing in my body, have you humbled yourself enough so that your key looks like Jesus, that the anointing flowing through you will get them healed? This is not just a pastor's job. This is every believer. Those that believe will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. When's the last person you did lead to Jesus? When's the last person that you were able to get filled with the Spirit? When's the last person you laid hands on? These are all, this is all commission to believers. And so my point in, this, in saying all of this is not to make you feel bad. And you can feel like, man, we were so good a few minutes ago. And all of a sudden it's like, right? So it, it's, it's not to make you feel bad. It's to shine a light on the key that you think is working in comparison to Christ. And the truth is, none of ours is going to measure up at this point the way that we think it is. The way that we think it is, we know already is not right. So it's not to feel bad because of what's gotten us to this point. It's to make sure that at this point, we stop thinking that what we've been doing is okay. That's humility. And that's the person that God can do amazing things with. And God's not just calling a pastor or a preacher to do amazing things. God's calling every believer to be the firstborn. You know, the, the, to be what Jesus said, the firstborn of many brethren. He's calling every believer to be a brethren of the firstborn. To be doing things like he did them. I did, I put up this picture today and um, see if you can find it. Just go to my Facebook. It's uh, facebook.com slash brianwright1. And right down there is a picture of a mountain. And see if you can put that picture up, up on the screen. But this picture says this. There are rare Christians whose very presence incites others to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. Amen. 
But in order to be that, it doesn't just happen. That was A.W. Tozer supposedly said that. It doesn't just happen. It takes somebody that will shine the light on themselves and allow God to reveal where the differences are. You have to be the kind of person that's willing. That's the kind of person. You have to be the kind of person that's willing to let God shine that light. You have to be that kind of Christian. See, it's, it's not okay if we haven't won people to Christ throughout the week. That's actually the model in the New Testament. There's the picture for you. That's actually the model, is that we come in here and learn how to turn up the light. Just leave that up. We come in here and learn how to turn up the light, turn up the power, lead people to the Lord, get them filled and healed and recovered and restored, moving in abundance so that they can minister out of that abundance. We come in here to become the fullness of the stature of Christ, to start looking more and more like Him so that when we walk out into the world and somebody needs a key turned into their life, we can say, I got it, I got the key. I got the master key. Because... Our, we've given our lives to look like it. See, what we think is, we think we can just pull out Jesus without having actually trimmed the fat off of ourselves. And we think that the, the fat of sin and the fat of unrighteousness, we think we can just pull it out and it'll work in any situation. And guess what? How many of you have tried that? It doesn't. It depends on what have you done in your life. What are you carrying? Do you and your life look like the key of Christ? That's why he tells us to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. Because it doesn't just work to just, oh yeah, you need Jesus. Really? What can Jesus do for me? Well, he can do all this stuff. Really? When? I need it right now. But if we're complacent to not be humble, to sit in pride, to sit in comfort, we try to pull out, oh, yeah, you need Jesus. And the world goes, so what? That's what everybody, every Christian says, show me. That's where Paul said, I didn't come in enticing words of man's wisdom. I came in demonstration and power. But that demonstration and power comes from us humbling ourselves to look more like Christ. That's what this whole series has been about, is us recognizing our need to let the Lord shine the light on us so that we don't just walk up empty-handed. We, we come with the power of God. We come with an anointing of God. Amen. And as we wrap up this series, this is what I want to do. I just, if that's you, I want to be that. There's rare Christians whose very presence incites others to be better Christians. I want to be that rare Christian. If you want to be that rare Christian, I want you to just come up tonight. I want to lay hands on you. I want to anoint you with oil. I want, I want you to operate in the things of God. 
I want nothing to hold you back. I want you to be able to pull out of your pocket the key called Christ and it releases something in you. I want you to, I want you to be able to offer yourself in humility to the King of Kings. A living sacrifice daily that says, Lord, mold me, shape me, make me your workmanship, make me your craftsmanship, turn me into something beautiful for you, my Lord. If you want that, come on up. Let's just play a little bit of music. And as I pray on you, I want you to expect that God is doing something in you that is big, that is mighty, that is holy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, right now I just pray and I thank you. Thank you, Father, that you are pouring something out in people. You're pouring out. You're shaping them. You are molding them into your workmanship. You are molding them into an anointed people. They are humbling themselves to you. And you are moving. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.